I met Ricardo in the fall of 2012 at the University of California in Santa Barbara, where he was working as a Portuguese lecturer. I remember our first conversation during a cigarette break outside of the Spanish and Portuguese department. We talked about jazz and Portuguese cinema. I had just moved to Santa Barbara and figured that if anybody knew where good things were happening, it would be him. I look at Ricardo as a cliché of the cool older brother, close enough in age to have fun with, but with those critical two or three years of additional experience under his belt that make all the difference. That older brother you can admire and who shows you all the cool things you're supposed to know but might have taken years to find out on your own. It's Ricardo's voice that opens my novel. It's just not possible, Pedro. It's not possible. What are we doing? Tell me. What are a Portuguese and a Mexican man doing driving across Spain, driving from Portugal to the Basque country? What are we doing? What is this life? Ricardo finished his contract in UCSB and moved back to Portugal in the summer of 2013. A month later, he picked me up at the Lisbon airport and almost immediately told me, no more English. You're in Portugal now, so you're going to speak Portuguese. It's the only way you'll learn. I had no set plans and definitely not enough money to finish the trip. I spent the following two months couch surfing around the country, simply going wherever I could get a ride or find a place to sleep in. Ricardo offered his house as a home base in between trips, and I got to know him under a different light, along with his family and friends. In doing so, he gave me the gift of a new language and all the incredible things that come with it. A new literature, new friends, new jokes, new beaches, new colors, new poetry, a new joy, a new sadness, a new nostalgia, a new Portuguese Pedro. This is Rich Chocolatey Goodness. What's up? How are you? It's, Finally. It's going to be weird to speak in English. Yes, it's going to be weird. But I think it's, I don't know. I don't remember the last time we talked in English only. We only spoke in Spanish or Portuguese or Portuguese, something like that. The language of sportsmen, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I ever listened to me talking English, so. All right, let's go. <laughs> let's go. Let's start. All right, you want to do the countdown? Yeah. Okay. Three, two, one, let's go. Rich chocolatey goodness. 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 All right. They got you in the spirit. Okay. What's up? What's up? So... So what the hell is this about? <laughs> yes, actually, yeah, that was my first question. Uh, it's funny because I was uh, in yellow, the bar, you know, and everyone was telling me, so what are you going to talk about? And I said, I don't know, maybe nothing, maybe everything, because I was listening to the other episode. 
and uh, everyone was asking me. You're supposed to tell him, I'm going to go talk about you and make fun of you, you pieces of shit. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that's the, uh, when you say that you're going to talk about everything and nothing, they are nothing. So, uh, I don't know, but uh, it's, it's funny. So do you have any questions, anything you want to know about my life? We don't talk yeah. for ages. What is your definition of sexy? <laughs> sexy okay that's your first question i've been wondering <laughs> okay i need a mirror first <laughs> no we don't have i just want to know like uh what's going on are you in your apartment right now or where, where are you uh right now i'm on my apartment actually in my bedroom seeing the rain falling looking at the castle the, that beautiful castle that you already know and that's it and try to have a very interesting conversation well, it was nice having you on the show. Okay. Thanks for that <laughs> mental picture. <laughs> we'll talk in uh, another two years. Okay. Nice to hear your voice. When was the last time uh, we talked? I don't remember. I think the last time was after your wedding, no? When you were here? Yeah. I think that was the last time I was in Portugal. Yeah. The last time, like for two years, I don't know, two years ago, I think. Yeah. It's good to hear you. You sound a very enthused <laughs> i am i am <laughs> what's going on you're, you're um i i feel guilty about this because i hate it when people ask about what's going on with the phd <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah okay i don't know everybody asks me that so uh, i think it's the first question that pops in your head i know i'm sorry <laughs> no no it's, it's good actually the the last couple months because as you know that i'm teaching and sometimes i don't have the time and when i do have the time uh i don't have or either the patience or i don't know or i'm just lazy to to do something but the last couple of months i think uh, for the first time i discover um, the i don't know i would not say the purpose but at least one line of thought to follow um my phd and uh, i think right now it's rather interesting that <clears throat> I can actually uh, divide and talk about exactly uh, where I want to go, even though I don't know. And I think everybody that's doing a PhD, when you finish, it's not the same place where you thought that you're going to finish in the beginning. Uh, but for the first time, I do have this sense of uh, where where I want to go with this. So actually, it's, it's pretty okay. And I'm writing, which it's something material that I can look for it so i think it's good when did this start more or less around january i think that i was reading actually it was funny because i was reading something from gotha and suddenly i thought okay i understand this right right now because as you know i'm studying about authorship in literature and everything and one night i was thinking okay it's so funny that we study literature and you spend all of your time reading philosophy or, I don't know, history, literature, theory of literature and everything, and you don't read literature. And I was reading Goethe and suddenly I thought, okay, with only one word, that it was the word action, I'll start looking for it, the meaning from German, and uh, I start to writing about it. And it makes sense, everything that all the fragments already have written and everything. And I, I think it was the beginning of something. And right now, 
uh, I changed a lot of things that I was thinking on writing about, uh, mainly about uh, the history of the author and everything. And I get to this point that, okay, it's good, finally, to have something of some meaning and sense of this. How long have you been doing it? This is your fourth year? Uh, fourth year, yes. You're about to start the fourth year, right? I'm finished my fourth year, yes. And um, do you have like unlimited time over there? What's the Things are slower in Portugal, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have my own limit, but uh, I hope to finish this uh, in two years' time, I think. Uh, well, at least I hope to finish in, in two years' time um, what I'm working. And it was funny because on the, on the episode you were talking about the academia, I was thinking about it like this perfect thing. And I, I know, and we talk about this, I don't know, I don't know, like five years ago, that I've lost that illusion of um, perfection yeah. uh, a long time ago. And the other day I was writing and I just thought, okay, I just need to be coherent and because it's something that I'm liking to write in, about, but I don't want to, or I don't hope to discover this amazing, beautiful thing that will change the universe of literature. Right now, I just want to write something different from everybody else that I think it's going to be a good thing to read. I know for a fact that nobody is going to read this, uh, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. We talk about this. All the people like in the academy that we are, we spend five years or six years writing something that uh, nobody, almost nobody, was going to read. So, but at least that I'm liking it, and um, the best part is, uh, I feel every day that it's something that I do like, and I think that's the worst part. It's the when you get to this point that oh, I just want to finish this. I don't care, you know. Uh, at least I do like what, what I'm doing, so I think that's important. I prepared a lot of notes because you are the only other person I know who's in a. I think we're in a, almost the same situation, mm -hmm. like that type of cynicism towards academia, where we kind of left. Like there was an original path that seemed easy, and then kind of left it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I told you like a couple days ago that I was very frustrated and I needed to talk because that was a. Uh, <laughs> but that's nice that you found that I guess as long as you you like you're okay with that cynicism well not cynicism but you have your own motives to do it then that's alright yeah actually I, I get to this point that I don't really care if, uh, if they're going to like it or not because it's a personal thing right now uh, and I think that was the feeling I had when I began all of this like in the first year of uh, university and everything and right now, I feel like sometimes I, if I want to read, I will read it. If I want to go there, of course, we have to have some boundaries and limits uh, what we're studying. Uh, but uh, I don't know, my tutor actually helped me to see that when he told me, you, you have to finish this. You know, it's not, it's not like you have to do this, you have to finish. It's something that you need to finish. And, and of course, I need this to work, as you know, like to teach in the university level. So... I don't know. I'm very practical now about this. So are you thinking about uh, pursuing like still a teaching career? Because that's something that I'm like 99% pushing out of my head, which makes me think, like, why the fuck am I still doing this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's I don't know, because I never, as you know, I never thought about to be or to become a teacher. 
and at some point I start teaching and when you go to academia you spend so so much time of your time doing I don't know bureaucracy things and uh, discussing uh, other things rather than teaching uh, but I found myself this year and the last year, because I'm teaching literature for the first time to, the, to my Chinese students, and it's so complex to teach not only literature, but my culture and the Western culture and the things that you already have for sure that almost everybody will understand, but they don't. And certainly I found that rather interesting to do. I don't know. And that's, that's why it, it changed. Because when I'm teaching, for example, in California, a lot of things I didn't thought about even when I was teaching literature because, I don't know, the people can... Well, I assume that you understand because we are part of a, this Western culture that, I don't know, if I talk about Jesus Christ, you know, what, who, who, who he was at some point at least. And sometimes they make these very basic questions like, what is the Bible? <laughs> and you're reading a poem and there's a reference and suddenly you look at them, it's like when some, some I don't know, one of my uncles asked me, what is internet? You don't have an answer for that immediately. <laughs> but it's funny because I was explaining and I said, okay, it's a book. And they were like, okay, it's a book. And suddenly, okay, okay. of course they have this. Uh, they know at some point that the Bible is a book and it talks about uh, religion, but they don't uh, have that the definition of that as we do. So it's funny. And they look at me and they, they found interesting things like, I don't know, our concept of love from the medieval ages that I never thought about it. Like the perfect woman, blonde, blue eyes. And they, they asked me why in Portugal you don't have blonde girls with blue eyes. And I said, okay, <laughs> it's true. How can I explain this? And... Uh, uh, in the beginning, where, where's the mustache in the in the <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it was funny because you asked me, uh, "What's your definition of sexy?" And sometimes I look at them and I say, "How can I define something that I had all of my life and I never thought about it?" Um, so it's like basic questions that makes you think uh, why you're doing this. Uh, and actually, it's, it's a very good experience, and that's why I thought. Maybe I do like to do this, uh, teaching, and uh, uh, I always have this feeling like when I finish my PhD, it's very possible that I have a contract with my school, so uh, I will stay there for a contract as, as long as possible. Uh, but it's something that I don't know I can do it. I always think I want to travel, I want to see more, because... Uh, these are the moments that I think it's nice to teach because you're not actually teaching. You're talking about uh, things like we did and we do right now. Yeah, actually, like I had a couple of directions I wanted to go because mm -hmm. I want to ask you personal questions. But of course, I'll take advantage that you opened the door. I mean, you were talking about when the students ask you something that seems evident. I was talking to uh, somebody at work uh, two, three days ago. Because we were talking about Pessoa, mm -hmm. which which is, of course, like the first thing, you know, like it's like uh, Spain, Cervantes. It's like the first thing that comes to mind is the easiest go-to answer. But we were talking about this whole thing, like this myth of what Portuguese, the Portuguese my, uh, soul is. <laughs> and it's, it's this very nicely packaged thing, right? Yeah. Like, 
oh, saudade, this longing, this uh, deep sadness that runs like wine through your heart. Uh, <laughs> and then I, I have my opinion of it. So I had both an intense uh, experience in Portugal, but at the same time, I'm just an outsider. And it's very much formed because I've only been there in the summer. I only know certain things. But the 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 connection that I made, which is a bit maybe drastic, is like in uh, sometimes when you see in Latin America the Indian playing the Indian because that's what the tourists want to see. Mm -hmm. You know, does that analogy make sense? Yes, yes. Like somebody that has a certain uh, phenotype, mm -hmm. they'll add on an extra performance uh, because that's what sells. That's what calls people. And I get the feeling that it's a bit a little bit easier in Portugal because. Here, there's not the class issue. It's still like a, it's linked to literature. But there seems to be this role that is performed. And that when you go to a university program, it's always this thing like, oh, the saudade, pessoa. And it's always like, if you only get to hear two words, it's going to be those two things. Yeah, but no, that's something very interesting that, that you said that culture, culture, I think it's also a performance. And uh, of course, when you think about Portugal or when you think about um, other countries, um, you have this very uh, fixed idea about things that they have to exist. For example, if you want to come to Portugal, you have to eat bacalhau, codfish, no? It's like something that, um, because, oh, I went there, did you do that? Punhetas de bacalhau. Yeah, punhetas de bacalhau, <laughs> for example, or sardines or whatever. And... Because it's a performance. It's like when someone asks me, oh, so how was California? And if I answer the reality of my experience, uh, and if that reality does not... Um, uh, how can I explain this? The, the reality of my experience the, does not belong to the idea that the people have of California, they will not accept it. Okay? So we work or we talk and we think like a performance... And our culture, at least Portugal, of course, the French community, as you know, has the opinion of the Portuguese culture, which is not right or wrong. It's just the things they see in France. But if you go to England and they, uh, they talk with Portuguese, they're going to have a different experience of the same culture. But there are things that always uh, stick in the end, like Fernando Pessoa, of course, it's the major Portuguese writer, or at least the one that... It is most famous. Uh, I, I don't know if you know the book the, uh, about the Western uh, literature of Harold Bloom, the Western canon, I think, mm -hmm. uh, in English. Uh, the only Portuguese that appears there is Fernando Pessoa, uh, which is funny because the other day I was talking about Pessoa and about the Portuguese culture and the way we Portuguese perceive the, the writer. And he has this sentence that says, a minha pátria é a língua portuguesa. So, I don't know exactly how to translate, but my homeland... Motherland. Motherland. It's my language. And everyone used this sentence, like the politicians, the writers. But if you read all the text, he's basically saying, I don't care if Portugal is invaded by other countries. So, we use one sentence because it's so strong from them so in our culture, but nobody reads so at least at the full level and length of his writings, which is funny. Oh, there's a there's the the credit card by Caixa Caixa Gerard. Yeah, that has a pessoa and it says uh, "Tenho mim todos os sonhos do mundo." Yeah, 
Like I have in me all the dreams of the world. Yeah. But the lines right before that are are like, I'm nothing. I'll never be anything. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> so, it's nice to have that one phrase on your credit card. I have all the dreams of the world. <laughs> but I'm nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Uh, so we use for them so as a performance of color culture. It's like, oh, he's so great. He said this. And sometimes I do ask people, but have you read what exactly what he meant with that? Uh, I don't know, because we always have these writers. It's beautiful to say, oh, I read Cervantes. And everyone is like, oh, this guy's very intelligent. But at some point, everybody knows Cervantes or Dante or, uh, I don't know, Shakespeare. But nobody, or at least a lot of people, didn't read it. And it's exactly the same thing with Fernando in Portugal. Uh, but we use it as a, a shield, you know, uh, like we have this one. I can defend my culture with this. But of course, it's a performance. We, we use it. One of the sentences that I love the most that people told me um, when I live in Spain in the United States was, you don't look like Portuguese. And the first time they, they told me this in Spain, I thought, what is to look like a Portuguese because we are from the South Europe, like genetically and I don't know, physically, we are alike, of course. Uh, and it was funny because it's only, you know, because Portuguese are like this and you aren't. And I said, and I always said, oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's like you when they, they, they say to you, oh, you don't look like Mexican. And you say, well, define me that. How first. dare they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's it. Uh, as, do you know what it's to be Mexican or Portuguese or I don't know? And so, and we do what we do. It's a performance, basically. That's my point. I think. What about saudade? Because that there's always like the the thing about like uh, they sell it as an untranslatable word, untranslatable feeling. And uh, you do translations. I do translations as well. We've come across words like that. But I don't think saudade is that untranslatable. <laughs> or am I, or have I just completely missed it? No, no, me neither, actually. Because uh, imagine you are translating saudade to, to English. And that, of course, that depends on the context. For example, you're going to use I miss you or I'm long, I don't know, this feeling. Uh, or in Spanish, you, you have some words uh, you, you can always use like echar de menos or for example, in the north of Spain, they use morriña, which is a word that uh, from Gallego that I do like it. At some point, I don't think it's uh, uh, impossible to translate. Uh, of course, there's this feeling that the Portuguese have about the words and the way we use it uh, that maybe that's difficult to, to explain. But at, I think so that it's much more about melancholy uh, that the Portuguese do have uh, and I'm comparing Portuguese with all the Latin cultures in South Europe, that I think we have it, that the other ones don't, at least like we do. The other day I was talking with an Italian girl, uh, she's studying with me in my PhD, and they actually, uh, she told me, I always use the Portuguese word because uh, I get used to it by uh, using in, uh, in, por in Portuguese. And I said, but it's not impossible to translate. And she told me, no, but... When I use it in Portugal, I know for a fact that everybody's going to understand what I'm saying. And when I use it in Italian form, 
I don't think it has the same uh, power. Do you understand? Like, mm, it's different at some point. Yeah, I mean, I have, I'm weary because I definitely have my opinions and I have, I had a very strong experience over there, thanks to you, mm -hmm. in great part. <laughs> um, but, but I'm always afraid that I'm like, you know, like that American girl that went to Barcelona for the summer and like, oh my God, Spain is so great. Ahora we have, we have Barcelona. And it's just annoying. Yeah. So I don't know how much of that is just like the Disney aspect that I picked up on. But it's true that just switching to Portuguese makes it a lot easier for me to cry. Uh, if I remember certain things, like it, we've talked about this, like a, I cry a lot more <laughs> whenever I'm over there. <laughs> And that's what I wonder, like, am I falling into the stereotype? Is there really something here? Is there something else where it's just like a bit easier to talk about sadder things and that allows for those moments? I, I think that's true. Actually, I think that's true. Like uh, among all the Latin countries, and in, in, right now I'm uh, being very specific, I think, uh, and I think that was your experience. That for us, Portuguese, actually, I think it's easier to be sad. Without any sort of embarrassment, just like open up a sad door and just walk through it. Yeah. But maybe cry, maybe not, but just keep going down it. Yeah, because the the concept of sad that everybody everybody else has, I don't think it's the same for us. Uh, I saw that with uh, some Irish people also. Um, that's why for us, for example, the um, uh, we have a different type of humor because we are normally... For us, it's so normal to be sad uh, or like in a melancholic way that we can joke about it, you know? So there are two types uh, of the same thing. Uh, and I can understand that and I can relate to the people that came to Portugal or that they came to Portugal. And uh, they always say, uh, why the people are so nice? And it's at some point in economical level, it's difficult to live in Portugal. But when I look at the people on the street, they look sad. But if we talk with them, they don't. Uh, and I don't know why, actually. Everybody says it's melancholy. It's uh, the nostalgia of something like the great country it was in the 16 or the 14, uh, well, the 15th and 16th century. I don't know if it's that. Uh, but actually, I do feel comfortable <laughs> among this sadness. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Very much so. But yeah, that for example, like if you ask a person on the street like us, because like uh we were in that uh that milieu, <laughs> we were in the environment. Uh you know, there's obviously like the quick answer, well, it's because, you know, it's like the sadness that comes from generations of having been a once great empire and you know But if you ask just a dude on the street, I don't think they're caring with that psychological thing. It's just like, fuck, you know, unemployment. Yeah, yeah. of course, there's the economical thing. Uh, at least for the last, I don't know, I would say uh, after 2004, I think um, the people start to talk more about economical things. And uh, uh, But I don't think that's the reason. There's a cultural thing about us. If you read, for example, the Portuguese literature, uh, Uh, some of my students said, oh, can we read something happier? And, uh, and they always ask me that. And I look at them and I say, why do you think it's sad? And I say, I don't know, he's in love and the girl doesn't want, want him. And I always say, yeah, but that's beautiful. So for the Portuguese, 
our sadness, I think, and it's my own opinion, it's a beautiful thing that you need to understand. For other people, it's like, oh, I don't want to be sad. I want to be happy. But I think for us, this type of sadness makes us happy. Uh, when I'm reading literature, I say, oh, fuck, this is so beautiful. And, it, and of course it's sad. Of course it's something sometimes very horrific uh, and everything. But that, I don't know. It's like the Portuguese movie. Everybody, all the Portuguese said, oh, it's boring to see a Portuguese movie. And I said, why is it boring? Nobody talks. Nobody do anything. And I said, come on, is your life always like a happy thing? It's like the American movies? It's not. It's like the Portuguese movies. Uh, I can understand the boring part. And, the, and it's very slow and everything. So I think all of this put together, like the way we think uh, our sadness is some, some, uh, something that can define us as this melancholy uh, people. And uh, that's, I think, the definition of so that. There's a section in a book of disquiet. Is that in English? What it's called? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where he talks about sentimental education. Yeah. Then he talks about that about like it's easy. You just have to create another person <laughs> and have that person really enjoy sadness because you need to be able to experience everything to the maximum. Mm -hmm. So a little cup of tea could be the greatest victory. But if you accept that, that means that the smallest little defeat is also going to hurt. Yeah. I'm paraphrasing, but, mm -hmm. and the way to do that is to create a separate person that not only takes the pain, but learns to rejoice in it so that the pain is no longer pain. Yeah. I'm paraphrasing. I read it like last month because I was talking to Michael Grafals about this, because uh, we were talking about Mexican boleros, mm -hmm. about that whole thing about just like wallowing in the sadness, <laughs> like, all right, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's suffer. <laughs> Because that, that, for example, uh, Prese, is that the name of that, uh, that Amalia Rodriguez? Uh, yeah, song, yes. Follow. Yeah. Like, still, like, I'm not, I'm not Portuguese. I had a crazy summer over there. I hear that and I just fucking break down. <laughs> it's, uh, it's incredible. It's so simple. It's like four different images mm -hmm. and it's so strong. Like, it's making me teary eyed right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just like, uh, at the end, it says, like, only one thing, I'll, I'll only accept one thing from God. No, I'll accept anything from God uh, as long as I get to die in Portugal. You know, if I say it like that, I kill it. But. Uh, no, 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 that's it. The, the thing is, actually, it's funny, the, the relationship we have with, with Father, you know, that there's, I don't know, Father can also mean, uh, there's a lot of meanings about the word, but can also mean fate. Yeah. Fatum. And uh, yeah, fatum. That came fatum fati. That came from the la the Latin word. We don't have sure that if that's the meaning of the word, but I would I would believe that the meaning of this fate that we have and the relation we have with uh, our country. And I'm talking about my experience. Uh, um, when I live abroad, of course, we always miss. We long. We have this saudad from our country. Uh, and there are so little things that you forget about your own country, like the smell. Uh, uh, for example, uh, it's funny right now that Portugal is very famous in a tourist way. Uh, it's full of tourists right now. Uh, uh, I'm glad that you, when you came to Portugal, uh, the tourism was starting, but not right now. Right now, it's, it's impossible to be in Lisbon or Porto. And the... The smell, for example, in when, when I go 
I don't know. For me, the smell of summer, it's roast chicken. No frango sal. You know, it's it's a, it's it's a very little thing. I know it's so small, but when I think about it, it's like okay, I didn't miss this, but at the same time, I remember in Santa Barbara passing by to this Mexican, um, uh, what they call the, well, it's like a store, and they make this food. I, what was the name of it? I don't remember how to to say this in English. Uh, well, a supermarket where you can buy already made food, already made food. And uh, I saw this Mexican guy roast a chicken and I thought, come on, it's a, Me it's a Mexican guy. He knows how to do this. So let's buy. Because the smell was exactly or almost the same. But when I got my home and I eat the chicken, I thought, no, it's different. <laughs> and I think it's different because I was not here. You understand? Yeah. And uh, I don't know, because uh, I have this relation with, with smells. And actually, when I'm here in Portugal, or today it's raining, and there's a very specific smell of rain here, like it, it, it has in Spain where I live, or in California, wherever. In Paris, it smells like shit and piss. When it <laughs> <laughs> I think it's all <laughs> I, I think that's the thing about the big city. <laughs> We don't have a big city in Portugal. <laughs> Lisbon, it's such, it's just a, a big village, you know. It's, that's why it changed the smell, of course. I don't know. I, I think all of this, uh, for example, when you imagine yourself in Portugal, you don't think about the smell. But if you come here, suddenly there's something about. Oh no, I have the smell of bifanas. Yeah, for example. The smell coming from like a bifana truck or outside a window. Uh. <laughs> See, that's it. That's the memory we have. Uh, all of the, the people from my family and the people I know in Portugal that lived in Africa were, were in the former colonies like Mozambique and Angola. It's funny, they always talk about the smell, how different it was and how they missed that smell. And, and when, for example, this is a very good example. When they say, I have so much of this smell, it's different for just miss the smell because you, it's not something that uh, you can have you know, it's some. It's an experience that you need to uh, to go there to uh, to have again. Okay, it's it's something different. I think that's the 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 difference of the word and the way we think about our experience. And uh, the, when you say, "Oh, it's mm, that sadness you have in port in Portugal," I think I I always uh, was like that. Uh, even when I was in California, maybe, maybe that's why we get together, both of us and a lot of people from the, the Latin countries. Yeah, I think, I, I think that's what makes us together. For example, today I was reading, I think in El País and from Spain, uh, something about Chapela Vargas uh, and uh, her life story. And I think I've never been in Mexico, as you know, and uh, my, my Mexico experience is with you and all of the Mexican people that I've met. And, but I already knew Chavela Vargas when I was in Spain, of course. But my experience of knowing you and all the other Mexican people, when I listen to Chavela Vargas, of course, I have some kind of uh, experience as you have when you listen to Amalia. Because there are things that connect us. Uh, I don't know if it's because the languages are basically, I would not say the same, of course, Spanish and Portuguese, but of course they are very alike. And uh, this feeling we have, it's some uh, 
I don't know. I would think and I would love to think that it's similar. Yeah, yeah. But for example, it's something that I, like on that trip when I did the little stop in Spain, I didn't feel anything like that in Spain. And I hear flamenco and it's like, uh, all right. Like I hear a couple <laughs> a couple things and then it just becomes like some dude moaning. Like, <laughs> like it just doesn't, uh, it doesn't go in like that. Whereas the Portuguese, you would think it should be more foreign to me. And I remember meeting other Latin Americans in, on the trip in Portugal. Mm -hmm. And we shared that experience. Like it's weird how much we feel more, much more at home here than in Spain. Yeah. And that Chavela Vargas thing. Yeah. That's a, uh, dead on yeah well i don't know i always think that uh, uh if we travel and if we know a lot of people we in the world and from countries i always define the countries not uh, because of the things i will the, the cultural performance that we already talk about but to the people we meet and i think that defines us of course my experience in spain is different from yours i live there I met a lot of people. It changed me at some point. Uh, it made, makes me think the difference between Portugal and Spain, of course. Um, and when sometimes people ask me, oh, what do you think about Mexico? I will think of, of you, of course. You, you, you are my closest friends I have from Mexico. So I will always say, I don't know what Mexico is, but Pedro, it's this. Bunch of tall white people. <laughs> with uh, white. <laughs> smart, lazy. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's like what, if they ask you, what is Portugal? You have your own experience. Uh, but of course, there are yes. things that you always say, that, like you were saying, that uh, my experience is like one summer. And I think the Portuguese summer is different uh, in the sense that as you know, we have a lot of immigrant people, and when they came to Portugal, they always said, "Oh, Portugal, it's beautiful, it's amazing." Uh, I want to, I don't know, leave France or Switzerland or, or whatever country they live in, and come back to Portugal. And I always said, "You should come here in winter, not in summer." To think about it, uh, there's a difference, and I think it's very a strong. It's, it's a very strong difference between the, our summer and the winter or other parts of the year. Yeah, I think that should be my next trip. Because so far, like, I've already, I think, two... So there's your town and Pedro's town. Mm -hmm. That's already two small villages. That's already two more than a lot of people can claim. <laughs> yeah. Where you could go to the tiny town and you know, like, the people, like, hey, what's up? You know, like, you play, like, you hit the, ha hit the nail with the hammer, spend the whole night drinking. <laughs> 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 you know, watch people chase a pig and all that. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's still just like the 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 August parties, all all those nice forest fires that happen every year. <laughs> <laughs> well, last year was crazy, but yeah, th that's the thing that I don't know. There's a difference because every almost everybody's on their on their holidays, and I don't know. But actually, I do prefer, and I think that's a thing that almost all the Portuguese prefer other time rather than summer. Of course, summer is great. We go to the beach and uh, the food and our families coming to visit us, the, the ones that have uh, uh, immigrant family. But at some point, for example, the other day I went to the beach to visit a friend and I look at the sea and it's different. And uh, for example, our relation with ocean, and, and, and I'm not talking about historical uh, relation, but the physical relation with ocean, it's different. When I was in California, I looked at the ocean and I thought, okay, it's nice. I like it, like it here. But I could spend, I don't know, like 
one or two weeks in Santa Barbara without going to the beach. You understand? And here, when I go there, not only the smell is different, but uh, my relation with the seeds different. And uh, I can feel that more during winter or autumn or wherever than in summer. And uh, I don't know, it's actually, actually kind of funny. Yeah, I don't care about the ocean, so I can't relate to that particular one. <laughs> but yeah, I do get it. Like on a different level. Again, you're talking about your home, so it's different. But yeah, yeah, because we we live close by, of course. And and I don't know. I grew up here, so yes. What about? Uh, I mean, we've talked about this, but it's usually like at five in the morning, so it's not very clear. <laughs> you have all that stuff, and there's this one thing that happens when you leave where you think like, yeah, I should just come back. And it's like that back to the future alternate timeline where you, things are different. And uh, and now you're just stuck because you're out of place and everywhere. Like, have you gotten back in the rhythm or are you still? Uh... Oh, okay, you're going, you were talking about like when I come back from the outer space of the world. Yeah, yeah kind of like. Like when the Amish have that one year off where they go and take drugs and fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and then they go back to growing beards and building farms. And they just have those flashbacks of like... <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I thought about it. Uh, I have some friends that they ask me that question. Like, uh, how can you live here when you have all of that experience around the world and everything? Well, it was not that many experience, but uh, they do ask me that, that how it how was when I come back. Um, I don't know. Mm, I, have, I have like these mixed feelings. I always think that uh, it's important uh, or no, I think I always have this feeling that I'm going to go out again, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. Always, like if I see like a job offer in Spain or in China or in Australia, I always think my first uh, thought is, oh, I want to go there. It's my first reaction. Uh, I would love to go there. I want to go there. Whereas most people wouldn't even look. Yeah, yeah. Because it's not that hard for me. For example, if, if I have to go there, I don't know, tomorrow, I wouldn't say, but next week I would go, that's it. Uh, but at the same time, there are a lot of things here uh, that I do miss a lot. And uh, uh, the, those little things that we were talking about, uh, I always think about the movie, the cinema, I don't know how to say in English, Cinema Paradiso, the Italian movie. Yeah, oh man. Uh, when the guy and the, goes to Rome and the, uh, his friend, the old guy that is blind, he said, don't look back, just, yeah, don't come back. And it's and he said one sentence that I love. I think we already talk about this. And he says, "If you come back next year, everything is different. But if you come back ten years from now, everything uh, is going to be the same." Uh, I always remember that. And I, at the first time I saw the movie, I thought, "No, if I come back in one year, everything is going to be the same. Just one year." And the guy was right. After ten years, I came back, and at some point, everything is the same. Um, and 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 it's good. It's a good thing because I think I need that. Uh, you've been in my very very small uh, village, Sotsiku. Uh, sometimes I think that the time does not operate uh, there. I saw the ghost of your grandfather, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or somebody, <laughs> <your> uncle, or. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
that's it. Uh, and and it's a good feeling. It's like the feeling that you do belong to you do belong to some place, and uh, it's good. Even though it's different, and of course after these five years or six years, I uh, come back here. Of course, it's different. I've made a, a new friends, but it's a very good feeling to to know that you can belong to a place, you know. And uh, and I can relate. And that's I think it's the same conversation. It's easy to go to a bar or to walk on the street to look at people and to understand that it's not it's not just melancholy or sadness. Sadness is something that belongs to me that I can relate to that and I can uh, and I can be happy with that. You know. I have a to continue on the on the Italian cinema uh, images. <laughs> mm-hmm. My image of leaving home is a. Uh, I always forget. I don't know if it's I Vitoli or I Viteloni. The the I think in English it's called the guys or the gang, and it's, it's Fellini where they have like the it's like carnival night. Oh, okay, yeah. And it's the same idea. Like they're in their twenties and uh, they're just partying all night. And he hasn't told anybody that he's leaving the next day. Like only one person knows. And the very last scene, like so, you see like all the debauchery, which at the same time can be fun, but at the same time. It's this much fun because there's nothing else to do. That's why Sotsiko has the world record or whatever of uh, beer barrels for the party. <laughs> yeah. And then the last scene in the movie is uh, he gets on the train and only one person sees him. And as the train is moving where you should see images moving, divided by the windows of the train moving, mm-hmm. you start seeing people sleeping in their rooms. I don't know if I, it's hard to describe. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's like if you built a yeah. set with uh, yeah. five rooms in a row with different scenarios and it's all the friends sleeping and you just, because as he's looking out the window, he's seeing that pass. And that's the idea I have. And I remember thinking that because actually when I left San Diego, I went there to say bye to my mom, but I still, I was going to still be in California for like a week. And I had that yeah. that feeling like, uh, yeah, it's sad. It's great, but like, it's it. That's it. I have to get out. I have to. I'm not coming back. Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, we, I think for us it's important to have a closure. And uh, I was thinking about that the other day, that I never uh, had a, f- a farewell party, as far as I remember, uh, w- when I live in Spain or, uh, or in California. Uh, but I did have a lot of farewell parties in Braga, in North Portugal, where I study with my friends. I think we had, I don't know, five, six, or seven, they always <laughs> joke about that. And and there's a reason for that, that for me, Portugal, it's a place where I'll always come back, always in my lifetime. And outside here, I don't need a disclosure. You know, it's like, uh, if there's a farewell party, it's like, oh, it feels like I'm never going to see you back again. And I don't want that. Uh, and that's the, the really uh, the definition of friendship. It's like when we are together, we don't need, we talk like for five minutes, so we don't talk like for two years. And after five minutes, that's not important. It's like we talk every day for the last five years. And that's why I don't like like these farewell parties. And like the image you are having, like uh, it's basically that. It's, I just finish. Okay, let's go. It's just uh, to be continued, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm getting, getting emotional here. <laughs> so I was thinking... Portugal is also a place that I'm always going to come back to. <laughs> so uh, that really stuck, stuck. And I mean, that's pretty much the reason why I'm here now. If I if I hadn't gotten that 
that one thing while I visited, like, mm, something's not right with my life. I would not have left the PhD, which left to me moving, et cetera, which left to me meeting at least, and then just coming over here. Yeah, that's the thing, because it's sometimes you just need something that you don't know that exists. Yeah, because I was so happy over there. I was so happy for that time that I was in Portugal. I finally learned to be alone, which was very hard. And uh, yeah, I guess I needed that time to like talk shit to myself. <laughs> and then it was easy to just go back and say like, nah, I'm leaving. See, that's the thing that, that we were talking about, like this Portuguese sadness that this exists. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, everyone is like, I don't want to be sad. And said, why? If you are not sad, how can you understand to be happy? And uh, that's the thing. And when you came here, I think you understood that. That you look at people and it's a good place to be sad <laughs> at some point. Yeah. <laughs> and you can share it. You don't have to hide it. Yeah, that's it. Because we understand that. Even though, uh, of course, we're talking in general. I have a lot of friends, Portuguese friends, that are not like that. Or, they, or at least they don't see it like that. The way I see it, it's because I was, uh, I was in, I don't know, in, in other countries. For example, I love this conversation and I think it's all the Portuguese can relate to this. Every time a Portuguese go travel, like either on holidays or live in a, other, other countries, they always have the same question. How is the food there? <laughs> it's beautiful. It's like they don't care if you're happy or sad and if you have friends. They always ask, are you eating well? It's like this family thing. It's like my mother. Oh, oh how's the food? It's the most important thing. My cousin went to, uh, to other countries and he said, oh, I don't like the food there. And if you go to London, nobody will ask you, oh, did you visit museums? Or if, you go, or if I say, oh, I'll go to Paris, they say, oh, you go to Paris. Oh, nice. There's a Portuguese community there. You can eat there. <laughs> Yeah. Because that's the thing. That's the most important thing. And the, when the people say, oh, this type of melancholy and sadness, and I say, no, you never see a Portuguese person with some bacalaur or whatever, you know? Did you read uh, Stoner? Actually, I started reading it uh, only like a couple of pages. It's a funny story because when you gave me the book, I started reading it and I said, okay, I need to read this when I have the time, maybe during summer. And I told one friend of mine that is teaching with me, and I said, I think you're going to love the book. And he read the book, and he said, oh, I love the book. And suddenly, it was all over the bookstores in Portugal. I never said this to you. Like in FNAC here in Lydia, I've suddenly everybody like found the book. And I thought, okay, I have to read it. But maybe in August or something, when the tourists came. Yeah, I trust the hipster instinct. <laughs> it was there before it was cool. <laughs> No, that book was actually a gift from a friend, from Ben, because they had this thing, when I go back in the story, really stupid thing when I was a teenager, I remember hearing John Frusciante, mm -hmm. whom, I, despite not being a big Chili Peppers fan, I really like him. And then there's this one interview where he's just saying, like, just buy a record because you like the cover. <laughs> And it was such a stoner thing, but such a, you know, like it made certain sense. Mm -hmm. And then the first time that I followed that advice, I discovered Os Mutantes, a Brazilian band. Yeah. It's like, holy shit, he was right. <laughs> <laughs> I just picked it up. It was like, this looks like a fun cover. And it was like, would became one of my favorite groups. So after that, I applied that philosophy of judging books by their cover. And when I was working at the film library and I could take anything I wanted home, at some point, like there's so much choice that you, you get saturated. Mm -hmm. So I would just pick the cool covers and I discovered a lot of cool stuff. 
So my friend Ben bought me that as a birthday gift based solely on the cover on, on that advice that I had shared. Uh, cause it's like a, it was a 50th anniversary edition. It was pretty nice. Mm -hmm. And it said stoner funny, <laughs> even though it's not about the drugs or anything like that. It's about a very gray dude <laughs> whose last name is stoner. At the time I was teaching English. So it also fit one of those times when you're reading something and you feel really connected. I was hoping you had read it because there's, I think that guy does the best description of grad school that I've ever heard, mm -hmm. like in books or in real life. And it's crazy because that book is so old. And that's when the type of, when you don't feel special at all, because you realize that every generation or every little group just has like, it just needs the same parts. And that's been the story of the world forever. Yeah. Well, we have to have just another conversation about only that book. Like in September or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because really, that, I've been thinking a lot about it lately because of the stuff I've been going through with school. Uh, but it divides, like, he creates three personalities of grad students. And I, that's all I'll say. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a very cool story, actually, that book. What happened was that um, the guy wrote it. Nothing happened. The guy died. Yeah. And then some French author found the book. Yeah, it was waiting to French. Yeah, I, I wrote I, I wrote that part. Yes, it's a beautiful story. Yeah, it is. Like she just uh, she liked it, translated it, became a bestseller in France. Based on that being a base bestseller in France, people in the UK were like, "What's going on with that book?" Brought it back, and then it be like translations all over the world started being bestsellers, except in the US. <laughs> Maybe that's changed now, but because I, I used it for class, mm -hmm. and at the moment of when I when I was using it. It still wasn't a hit in the U.S. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, I have to read the book. That's the thing about study literature. You don't read literature. You read philosophy. Yeah. Well, you say that, but I don't. I don't read anything. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes I do. I spend so much time reading philosophy that I get to this point. It's like, why I'm studying literature? I should study something else, uh, like philosophy. But uh, but I don't know. But it's funny. It's funny. You were talking about this specific writer, but the other day I was I was, uh, uh, I was reading something, and I always think about this because I'm thinking about author biography, autobiography, and uh, uh, that's more or less the, the things that I'm studying. Uh, I always think that sometimes we have to forget the person to understand the person. And I think the best expression to say this, and it's defacement. Uh, it's to take the face out. Um, and it's funny because it's the way we experience the world, that uh, the world at the same time, for example, we are having this conversation, we're talking about Portugal. We assume that there are things that I understand and you understand because you, you have been here. And we are talking about one specific book that you gave, it, gave to me about things that we talk about And it was like 50 years ago. So there's a culture that defines us. There's this defacement, if I can uh, say that uh, it's invisible. And we can understand those things. Uh, and it's, it's quite funny because it's impossible. We have to name things. We have to uh, know people to understand. And I don't know. That's the problem with real philosophy. I, I'm always thinking about things that don't make any sense. Like if a, if a definition of X is made up of a circle of 50 things uh, and you could take out one of those things 
And those 49 things still kind of make the definition of X. And you could look at that thing you took out or you could take another one out kind of like that. That's the image I'm getting. Yeah. Or that I miss it completely. No, 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 no. That's it. That's it. That's what, what I was trying to explain. What I thought you were doing your thesis on Herberto Elder. No, no, that's the author. But the, the theme, it's it's uh, authority on authorial questions about Herberto Elder. So it's a specific, this specific author. Ah, uh, okay. But the theme, more or less, uh, as I would say, it's actually, it's very funny because it's, uh, I don't know if you remember, Herbert Welder was a writer that he didn't give any interviews or talk with people. It's like this image of a genius. But I don't think that's quite true because actually he was present in the Portuguese culture. He tried, he made one movie, well, it appears in one movie, uh, he wrote for magazines and everything. But in the moment that he did that, nobody cares. So he got to this point, it's like, oh, I'm sick of saying this. I don't care. I don't give a fuck. Just I want to be at home quiet and rest. And uh, he finds out that to be a, a genius, it's not to talk with people. And actually, I do like this definition. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't like people, so yeah, I can relate with that. But it's not true. And that's why I'm trying to create uh, this mapping. I don't know if it's, it's in English. Uh, about his life and actually saying, no, he did exist uh, as a person. And he was not that obscure as everyone tried to do. But I think at, at the same time, it's, it was a performance, you know, at some point, like we were talking about in the beginning. If I don't do this, everybody will talk about it. It's like Salinger and uh, all of those writers, you know. Um, I'm thinking of the Mexican saying, en boca cerrada no entran moscas. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> is, there, is there an equivalent in Portuguese? Yeah, I would say... Like flies won't... Flies won't wander into a closed mouth, meaning like keep your mouth shut, you'll be all right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think there's a Portuguese expression that right now I don't remember, but I we always say that if you want to look smart, don't talk, and and, and I think it's true. Like, and we always say this. So it's basically the same thing, and it's true. But I don't know. I want to ask you a stupid question that I don't think is stupid at all, but I never got to ask when I was uh, doing my masters because you know you're embarrassed. Now I don't care. Uh, there seems to be this big, giant uh, logical leap that everybody accepted called the death of the author. Mm -hmm. And I was not informed of that. You know, <laughs> like at some point you reach to a certain level of studies and everybody just says, oh, yeah, the author's dead. And everybody just runs with it. And it's taken as a fact, you know, almost like it's scientific. Mm hmm. I think one of the reasons, and I think there's a lot of reasons, it was the moment. If you think about it, it was Roland Barthes that starts with that, uh, the death of the author. And then you have Foucault that basically saying or putting the question, what is the author? Uh, and there's a specific moment in the 60s. And as you know, in France, the 60s, culturally speaking, were various uh, times very important in France. But I think more important than that, uh, Roland Barthes was trying to free the author from the text. If you want to start a revolution, that's why I was talking about the 60s, what do you do? You kill someone. And then the, with Roland Barthes, you just kill the author as Nietzsche tried to kill God. And I think he can relate Barthes with Nietzsche in this sense. So he said, let's kill the author. And at that point, when the post-structuralists start, they said, yeah, let's kill the author. And everyone starts following these guys with this idea. 
of course, I'm sure that uh, when he said that, yeah, forget about the author, the only thing that is important is the meaning of the text, which at some point was true. But it was something refreshing, something different that the people need uh, at that point. Uh, for example, I always think that uh, in the hermeneutic terms, that when the, we start doing like interpretation, it was in, uh, after the, the 18th century with uh, the Romantic period. To, from Romantic to the 20th century, we start to, to do this hermeneutic thing, like we need to interpret it. Why? Because there's a genius, and what he writes, nobody can understand. So us, for us common mortals, we need to understand this. So we need to read, to spend a lot of time to understand this. When we got to the 20th century and after uh, the changing of the Industrial Revolution and uh, the book starts to be much easier to, um, to produce and everything, they get to this point that the author, nobody read the text, just talk about the author. Understand? It's like, oh, it's this genius. Oh, it's beautiful. But nobody read this text. So I think Colabart makes a statement. Let, let's just kill the author because we need to become readers again. You know? But do you think that's still... St like, it seems like a logical thing. Like, everything in the 60s, that slap in the face was necessary. But it just seems kind of... Like, I found it strange. Maybe I just didn't get enough of a background in it. I was just kind of thrown into, like, this is the way it is. And that's the school we follow now, where it's unquestionable. Like, no, 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 it's just separate. It's a separate thing. It doesn't belong to the author. The text is separate. And to me, that's such a giant leap of faith to just accept that. Like, I can't imagine somebody taking my text from me. <laughs> like, they're made. They're made from me. Of course, people will see things that I won't see. And there'll be interpretations that uh, that may be very rich and I had no idea that were there, but maybe because they weren't there in the first place. But whatever, it just seems like a very big statement to, to carry on with. Yeah, because I think it's a, it's a dramatic question. So I think that Holobart starts. That's why I, actually, I do prefer the Foucault text. If we are very practical, of course, you cannot kill the author. Uh, it's impossible, and I'm talking about biology, biological speaking. Uh, you cannot remove uh, the body of the uh, the author itself and his thought, his experience from the text. It's almost impossible, or at, at some length, it's impossible. What? But uh, I think uh, at this point, and I'm talking about 21st century, uh, when we read now Columbart, I think it's important to understand the moment he had. And right now, there's a lot of people that uh, talks about that how impossible it is to take out uh, the author. But it's not the godly author that exists before the 60s. Right now, we have to understand other things, that it's what the, I think it was uh, this autor vitae that they use in the Latin terms in the medieval ages, like the life of the author. And there's a lot of things that they still exist. For example, when you say Fernand Pessoa, there's there's a signature. You know, there's a the strength that we can and we need the author to understand the text. Even though I can, at some point, I will say, oh, these texts they are good, even though I don't know the author. But can Fernand Pessoa be as good without the other names, for example, without being this fragmentary person that we we know? I don't think so. 
uh, and we need. Yeah, but that's because it was one giant work. Like it's like saying, like judging a book just by one paragraph. It's like you need the whole, uh, the whole picture. Yeah, that's the thing. I think the the difference is we cannot accept the author as the only meaning of the text. Like uh, I think it was uh, before the sixties, but we cannot have only the the meaning of the text without the author right now. Uh, of course, when you talk about so or Shakespeare, for example, which a lot of people still talk about the authorial expert in Shakespeare, you cannot take, even though you cannot uh, have this biography exact of his life and everything, but uh, it's important. At, at some point, we need to understand when he wrote that. And I don't know. I, uh, I, we are like that. How can you explain Facebook? Facebook is something that we don't use to know someone. He used to know the people that he knows what he hit and knows everything. Uh, it's a human being. And uh, I think that's the aspect of it's not, it's not possible. Uh, even though, for example, if you know some author that you love and, uh, and you know this person and he's just dumb and stupid <laughs> and uh, son of a bitch, you, you don't give a fuck. You just think, oh, I don't care. I like these texts. But at some point, you're like, yeah, dumb shit. Uh, I don't know, there are some other parts. Matthew McConaughey is a good example. <laughs> For example. Whenever you see him give an interview, you're like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> there's nothing up there. So yeah, but he gets like a camera. He's like, all right, he's doing his job. He's good, all right. <laughs> that's the thing. And uh, I think, I, I, uh, but that's the difference, for example, between the, the actor and the author and the person. You know that, that three different parts of the same thing. Uh, uh, and I think right now, uh, the people, the way they see um, the authors and everything, they still uh, have this thing. Because I think Hollenbart's fail in one aspect. It didn't work. If you think about uh, Michel Rulbeck, the French writer, is this some fun terrible of the French literature? And I think it's exactly the same thing that happened before the 60s. Uh, I've never read... Michel uh, Beck, never. Uh, but I know that is enfant terrible. Everybody talks about him. He says things on television about his mother, and they have these huge arguments. I know more about his life than his work. And actually, I do like the when he talks and, and everything. So at this point, Hollenbach failed because it still is the same thing. And more now that we have the internet and television and so forth. Yeah, especially like uh, people will not want to separate Woody Allen and Roman Polanski now from their from their work. Yeah, for example, that's a very good example. Uh, in those moments, I think the people use Roman Bart. It's like, yeah, but you know, it's different. He's a great director, but he sucks as a person. It's like Michael Jackson right now. Uh, and the people start saying, oh, Roman Bart was right. There's a difference between the author and the... Uh, or uh, or the person, and there's not. I think there should be some middle ground where you could establish the moment where the crimes were committed, and then like the stuff from before. So, like, I'll keep Michael Jackson from the Jackson Five, <laughs> and <laughs> and I'm willing to lose all the other stuff. Yeah, the thing is, you can do it the same with Woody Allen. You can have Woody Allen before all of that happens, like in Manhattan, and pretty soon you Woody Allen. <laughs> <laughs> Are you uh, are you writing? Not as much as I would. I'm more rewriting when I don't when I'm lazy to do my PhD 
and I'm feel bad. I'm not doing the the the, the PhD. I rewrite, but no, not not as much as I would like. But um, it's a process, you know. That if I start writing, it will change the way I write in my thesis. You understand? Yeah. Uh, and I don't want that. For me, there are two separate things, of course. Um, good, ex- good excuse. <laughs> yeah, I'm very good <laughs> with excuses for not doing my PhD. No, it's nice being on this side because uh, like, I just reacted the same way I do. Like, how's the PhD? Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> well, are you are you at least writing? Uh, uh. <laughs> well, I don't want to. You know, I want to focus on the. <laughs> <laughs> No, for the, that's why I was telling in the beginning of this. It's the first time when the people ask me, "Oh, so what's going on?" I can actually say, it. "I've done stuff." You know, I've done something. Cool. How are you? Um, like, how are you working? I, I've been having like a really fucking hard time. How are you managing the juggling? Uh, the last couple of months, actually, I, I was thinking about that because it's 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 difficult, actually. I don't know how to answer that because it's hard to have this future thing that I never had in my life. Like, oh, in two years I will finish my PhD, now work, and everything will be uh, settled. I just try not to think about it, and actually, it helps when I live uh, in my place. Not think about it, just go for it. I know it's like this cliche thing, but actually, it's like I want to go back in time to be the person I was when I left this place with this idea that I'm going to reach, I'm going to uh, get to these parts. And um, I don't know, it's, I don't know, it's a psychological thing, just the way I think. Yeah, because everybody else I speak to, they like, they just never left, whereas you, well, I mean, you didn't leave, but you interrupted, you didn't follow the straight path. Like you could have had it easier in the US. Mm -hmm. Like I I always feel it was kind of like a divorce. (laughs) I can't let go of that experience. It was so good. I had the scholarship. I was fucking living in Santa Barbara, the beach, the beautiful women, party school, et cetera, et cetera. Not that I was enjoying all of that, but <laughs> at least it was, you know, it's a nice environment if you're going to do a PhD somewhere, uh, living in California and having a scholarship and all that. And then it wasn't just Portugal's fault. But after the trip, it was like, uh, no, 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 no. This is no, this is not good. I can't do this. I'm not ready to do this. Uh, I was looking at people going crazy. I wasn't crazy about the department, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And I decided to leave, which ended up being good because now I'm here. Like, you know, I wouldn't have met Elise. None none of that stuff would have happened. I think I would be unhappy if I had stayed because I wasn't happy with the way the PhD worked in the U.S. where you don't really get a choice of where you want to take your your research. You kind of get like strong-armed into pushing it into the sexy sexy areas of research yeah you know like yeah that's interesting but what if you put it under a chicano perspective <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> what's the chicano take on cortazar's photography <laughs> no the thing is <laughs> I, uh, I, I don't know i always think about it what if i accept go to la you know that i was thinking about doing my phd in the ucla or uh, sometimes i do think about it and uh, it's funny because I look at the people that are doing the PhD year here, uh, well, in Coimbra, where, where I'm, where I'm doing, and they finish the PhD, and they always ask me, "And now what?" It's funny because what they want is what I already have done. Like 
I've been in Spain, I was teaching in Spain, in the United States and everything, and it's good for me, it's a good thing right down here. And they always ask me, so what, uh, we don't have any job, it's difficult, as you know, in, in Portugal, and always saying, just, I don't know, just go to other countries. To do what? And I said, I don't know, I just went there. It's not as easy as it sounds, but just go there. That's why I'm always thinking, okay, what these people want, <clears throat> or what they imagine, is something I already had, uh, and I cannot explain things like, oh, uh, when they ask me, oh, California, it was so great, you were there, and I said, it's true, come on. I was I was teaching in the University of California with 30 years. Of course, it was great, uh, but it, it's my experience, and I always tell to this everyone, just go, don't be stuck here, just have different experience. When you were like 60 or 70, when you look back, what do you want to see? This proper person that have studied doing the PhD and work and been stuck in the same place all of your life, or just have this crazy experience? That's I don't know. Yeah, no, I'm I'm happy. I'm I'm 100 happy that I did it. But like I said, it's kind of like a divorce where uh, like I already gave my heart the first time. <laughs> yeah, and then like it made me a little cynical the second time. And I was like, oh, I'll never get married again. And like an idiot, like I got here, like I started learning like French getting better. Like maybe I could start a PhD here, like a fucking idiot. And then I go into that same shit again, except that now it's a lot harder because I don't have all the support I had from over there. And I'm doing it as a foreigner, etc. And it just gets really, really frustrating because like I said, I, I've recently decided that I'm almost 100% sure I'm not going to pursue like a career in teaching. No. As much as I love it, I don't want to put in the time. But I, but like you were saying, like I'm gonna finish this because this is my baby. This is my little thing like that I that I've been working on. Yeah. Sometimes I just think, what what happened if you finish this and suddenly you think, I would love to grow potatoes in Indonesia. You know? I would. I would. <laughs> <laughs> I want to have chickens. Like I really want a simple thing like that. <laughs> and that's when I think, what the am I doing wasting my time <laughs> I don't know that's why I I want for example I'm loving my experience writing the PG because if I wouldn't I wouldn't do this like I'm too old for this shit right now everyone is like oh I want to have a job uh, and, and everything it's like oh you're doing well uh, because you're going to have a job and I said okay yeah that's true but at the same time I have this silence silent moments where I'm reading and I get sometimes I think these guys are really crazy. Who the fuck wrote this? You know, uh, and that's the, the point. I love it, but I don't know. When I finish this, maybe I want to go. I don't know to German, to Germany, and selling sausages and whatever. Uh, I don't know. When I talk with my friends that are abroad, they're always telling me like this experience, and I missed it. I don't know. It's my nature, and I do. I, I, that's why we relate to each other. I, I understand you that you are having this. French experience, but we always have this feeling that I don't belong here because I don't know where I do belong. Yeah, except now I, I'm I'm a little bit more relaxed with that because precisely because I came to terms with that, like that it doesn't matter where it is anymore because I know there's no home. I mean, mm -hmm. there's I have a home now, yeah. but this feeling of the right country or that is just going to be like we either move or we don't. But there's not going to be that one thing like that that's gone. If you lose that when you're a kid, that's it. No, that, that's the thing, because I always say that my home is where my friends are. It's all it's all about the, the people you, you meet. That's it. Yeah, but all your friends are spread out 
the only way to get everybody together is a wedding or a funeral, and you won't be at the funeral. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or with a podcast. Yeah, because I think a lot about that because we, when we travel, we meet so many people that I, I, I don't want to say we lost uh, that people. Sometimes I think how amazing it will be if I could get together all the people I've met these couple of years. The places are always different. The people are different. Well, I'll have to wait for your wedding. <laughs> You need to have a very comfortable chair. <laughs> Are you working at the Yellow tonight? Uh, I'm not. I've finished work there in the, in the bar uh, right now because I need to focus on the PhD, PhD, and I need my weekends back. And uh, that's why I was telling you like this. From January uh, fourth, I stopped working in the Yellow. I stopped uh, teaching courses only at school. Oh, I'm, I'm working only at school. Well, in September I will go back to the courses. I need money, so <laughs> of course I need to to go back to do that. But it's nice. I worked there for three years. It was like go back in time from my grad student life. But it was nice. Yeah, you should like come to France and teach like a summer and save that money and just live in Portugal for six months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a pretty good exchange rate there. Yeah, maybe someday. At least I need to visit you. Uh, yeah, we're waiting. <laughs> we're waiting. <laughs> Alice sends a lot of love. She's always, uh, she always feels bad because I get to talk to all these people that she likes and she's just like, ah, tell them I said hi. <laughs> <laughs> We need to, to get together all of, all of these people. And uh, I don't know, Paris will be a good place to get together. Brussels. Brussels is a good place. I'm telling you, I was there two weekends in a row. Oh, man. Fucking delicious beer, giant food. I would recommend it more than Paris. <laughs> all right. I uh, never got to hear what your definition of sexy was. <laughs> Maybe some other time for the next time. <laughs> all right. Okay. Thank you for listening to Rich Chocolatey Goodness. Perfect. Thank you, Ricardo. <laughs> uh, I'll see you in Portugal. Of course. Okay. Thank you, Pedro. Rich Chocolatey Goodness is produced by Benjamin Morse and Pedro Escobar. Special thank you to our guest, Ricardo Brites. Music by Marco Moreno, with a little help from Pedro. You can find extra features, photos, and links from this episode on Instagram and Facebook, at Rich Chocolatey Goodness. Follow us to get all the Rich Chocolatey updates, and subscribe on iTunes or Spotify for brand new goodness delivered to you every other Sunday. And if you like what you heard, please be sure to leave a comment and rating.